Blog Talk. Of doing this new venture. 
and and how it was going to change the energy around you, right? Yeah, and uh, you know, like I said, that's why it was so important for me to actually leave on New Year's Day. And uh, I got out there, I, you know, I sat down with them, and they were so happy that uh, I had made this proposition to them. They had thought about asking me for a while, but they were uncomfortable or a little bit afraid of how I might react. And so when I put the offer out there, they were really happy, and it was easy for us to sit down and sort of come to an agreement about, you know, how the business would be structured. And, um, you know, we got going right away. And uh, actually, once I sort of opened myself up, to investing in startups uh, or, you know, young businesses, uh, I guess becoming an angel, if you will, uh, how many other opportunities started coming to me. Uh, It was was amazing. That's really interesting. And it sounds like you definitely adopted a different mindset in order to make this transition as well. Yeah, I I did. I mean, uh, it's funny. I I guess one of the benefits of going through what I I personally went through when the the market crashed in 08 was it it definitely changed the way that I think about money. And I I, well, how so? Could Could you give Could you give our listeners some ideas to what you're talking about specifically? Yeah. So. Um, You know, like most people, I was very conservative with my money. I mean, even the trading strategies that I employed were, you know, I tried to do them in such a way that I had minimal losers and, uh, you know, that the risks I was taking were not that great. And even heading into the fall of 08, I thought that generally my portfolio was not necessarily that risky. And when the, the... financial markets broke down, uh, everything broke down. And so things that really might have been not that risky for many years prior to the fall of 08 became risky. And so my portfolio, which I had built to not have a ton of volatility and and to sort of protect myself, actually became incredibly volatile. volatile, And I lost a lot of money really fast. So you were thrown out of the comfort zone, weren't you? uh, I was thrown way out of my comfort zone. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is I went through that experience and by losing all that money and then being fortunate enough to make it back, my concept of sort of what a big number was changed and my concept of what I felt comfortable risking changed. And are you you saying that you were able to take different types of perhaps higher risk when you really felt committed to it? Yeah, I, I I I guess you know it raised the threshold of where I I felt pain, if you will, mm-hmm. and by by having that threshold ra- uh, raised, it made it a lot easier for me to make these investments because even though whenever you're involved in a startup, there's always a tremendous amount of risk. Um, the fact is is that um, one, I was a lot more comfortable doing that, and two the emotional benefit of actually trying to build something and create value for myself, but also sort of create jobs and create the value in a business, offset whatever the financial aspect was as well. So it, right, well, it really, let me ask you something. Yeah. Um, uh, from your point of view, what possible tips could you give to some of our listeners who perhaps were thrown out of a job in the last several months or year or are not sure which 
you know, which direction to take. And perhaps some of them didn't have the resources to invest in startup companies like you did at that time. But what generalized tips can you give them when embarking on something as new as what you did? Right. Well, I, I apologize in advance if any of this sounds a little bit cliche, but, you know, the thing the, the thing that I found was sort of going after what your passion is. Uh, you know, if there are things that you really feel passionate about and that you really want to do every day, then one, it's not work, and two, it's a lot easier to, to get to get going. Um, I think the second thing that I would put out there is, is whatever endeavor um, a person chooses to take, uh, certainly going it alone is a feasible way to do it, but I would say in my experience, having at least one good partner to sort of share the load and, 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 and share the, the, uh, the, the vision uh, is real helpful. I mean, I, I look at the businesses that I've been in and where I've been successful, and actually almost every one of them was a triumvirate where there was three of us that each added sort of different skills, sort of three legs of a stool to, mm-hmm. to, make, the, to make the business successful. So I, I think that would be the second thing. And then, and then the third thing is to to just sort of believe that you can do it. I, I mean, when I, I look at all of the business that I've invested in, I mean, you know, certainly, as I said before, there's a ton of risk and there's no guarantee that they'll be successful. But I don't look at any of them and say, well, I'm a passive investor or I'm just, a, you know, going along for the ride. I look at every one of them and say, I can make this successful and my team can make this successful. And every morning it's a matter of sort of waking up and saying, you know, our success is out there and it's just a matter of us going and grabbing it. Right. Actually, I think those are those are three really excellent tips that people could use no matter what they're, you know, thinking about getting involved with. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about before we, we speak a little more specifically about some of the ventures you're involved with now is – is is your position on the so-called overall economy right now and what you think needs to be done, where the jobs are, where they can be created, and where there might be some type of a disconnect between the jobs that are out there and the skills that people possess to fill them? Right. Well, I mean, the economy is definitely uh, suffering from the after effects of the housing bubble. And, I mean, I would argue that a lot of the growth that we had in the last uh, middle part of last decade was actually fake. Um, that it was how, do you all, mean, how do you mean that it was fake? So it was all done with credit. It was all, you know, uh, if you think about the we, we were building 2 million homes a year in, in 2005, 2006, when the country really only needs about a million homes a year. So... A million homes a year being built and sold is a lot of uh, – is a big contribution to gross domestic product that really wasn't real, right? And then when you factor in all of the people taking money out on, on from home equity and you talk about all the money that was being made on Wall Street by selling uh, the, the securities that were backed by all these mortgages that were probably not very good mortgages, which ultimately led to the crash, there was a lot of – economic activity in the middle part of the decade that was based not on real uh, end-user demand, but based on credit and based on, you know, fantasy, actually. 
And so what you're saying is that there was a huge speculative element to that boom. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look, if if you if you take out the housing bubble from the you know gross domestic product numbers, then our economy today is probably actually bigger than where it would have been, you know, in 2007, which was the the peak, um, as opposed to just sort of getting even to where we were in 2007. Right. Uh, so so. Having said that, you know, a lot of the jobs that were there and that, you know, that were related to housing, whether it would be construction or, um, you know, real estate brokers or mortgage brokers or the people in the finance, financial world who were doing all of those crazy things that got us all into trouble or people making furniture or, or appliances or any of that stuff, um, those are jobs that are not coming back anytime soon, right? Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Yeah, and and so so the thing is that the economy evolves, and so there are places where jobs are being created. So you look at the world of social media, so Facebook or Groupon or LinkedIn. I mean, those are companies that are creating jobs at an astounding pace. Uh, you look at other companies in the software field, uh, the same thing. Um, you know, uh, one of the businesses I'm involved with is a, a, a software startup. And it's located in the Bay Area, and we've actually had a really hard time finding software engineers uh, as we're trying to build out the business. Uh, there are other jobs, like in the, the, the trucking industry, where the, the big truck, truck companies are having a hard time finding people to fill those jobs. And so, you know, the economy is creating jobs. A lot of the jobs that are being created, the skills uh, that are necessary are, are not available. And so... You know, there are a lot of people who have skills that um, maybe are not applicable to where the economy is today, and there are a lot of jobs being created where we don't have people. Um, and then geography is another issue. I mean, there are jobs being created in certain regions, but because people aren't able to sell their homes, they're, they find it difficult to move from a place that doesn't have jobs to a place that does have jobs. And so there are, are more things to the unemployment numbers than sort of meet the headline. So in other words, with, uh, with traditional media, they just focus on the numbers without really delving behind those figures uh, in the way that we're talking now. So it gives people, in a sense, a misleading impression as to the underlying health of the economy. Right. I mean, I think whenever you look at the aggregate numbers, they don't really tell the whole story. I, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, there's certainly the overall unemployment numbers are high, and certainly there are uh, many people affected and many, many people who are having a difficult time. But there are certain areas of, of the economy that are actually booming. I mean, you know, one of the businesses that I have got involved with is, is a trade show called Blog World and New Media Expo. And we're we're a trade show for the blogging community as well as the podcasters and video content creators and also uh, for our social media as it relates to the business community. And we how long have you been, how long have you been involved with Blog World? Um, so I have been involved for about a year and a half. Okay. Uh, the, and when is the next uh, show going to be, and where is it going to be? So uh, we just had our first show in New York at the end of May, and our right. fifth, our fifth, our fifth uh, flagship show will be in Los Angeles in the first week of November. Great. Um, and you know that that business. I mean, we 
we've actually just hired in the last 90 days four people. That's terrific. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're in negotiations right now uh, about expanding the business further. And, you know, I, I would say that if things continue on the path over the next 12 months, we'll probably end up hiring about another half dozen people. Right. So, obviously, there are areas of the economy that are growing, and I, I think I, I think it's doing a great service to uh, our listeners and just to the public in general to focus on some of the good things that are happening with the economy, since it just seems like the over the overwhelming news that is being pumped out there about the economy is negative. And I think one of the reasons that that's the case is that there's such a, a gross generalization of what the economy is. But in reality, we have such a complex economy in this country, and there have always been sectors of the economy that are growing while others are not, and where jobs are being created. And I think it's really important to keep that in mind, that it's a complex situation that is changing fast. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. You know, uh, I mean, there are you know, you look at what's going on in the natural gas industry and, and the explosive growth there. Like, like I said, social media, the internet. Uh, you know, the people who are our constituents at Blog World, people who are creating content on their own, whatever the the format or the venue. And you know, I, I meet people at the trade shows who you know start with an idea and they create their blog or their their uh, podcast or their video blog or whatever it might be, and, you know, they find a way to get visitors to their site, and they, they drive business, and, and, you know, they, you know, they, they do it from home, they, and they create value for themselves. Right. You know, I, I think it's, it's interesting that I don't believe our politicians have really caught up with the reality of what's going on in our economy, and I think that's really unfortunate, because, you know, to hear a lot of the rhetoric coming from politicians uh, they bemoan the loss of all these manufacturing jobs, and, and the implication is they're going to try and get them back again. But that's really, uh, to me, that's that's delusional thinking. That's not really recognizing the reality of what's going on today. Uh, you know, a lot of the manufacturing jobs that we've had have been lost forever, where the wages are going to be much lower and the benefits lower. And I don't think that's something that's really necessarily horrible. It's just a fact. Uh, you know, it could be that some of the manufacturing jobs will swing back to the United States as the standard of living rises in Asia and places like that. That's a possibility, too, which I don't think a lot of people have anticipated, but that is something that could happen. But I think it's time for our politicians to, to start having a dialogue that's a little more honest and, and genuine, rather than pretending that certain things are going to go back to the way they were. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, I, I guess there have been some movies made about politicians who are honest, but I, I haven't seen it in the real world yet. Right. But, you know, and, and talk about a disconnect. I think there's such a huge disconnect between our elected officials and what the people really need and want at this point, you know, uh, and that's one of the things causing a lot of stress in the stock market. Uh, causing people's anxiety to rise and, and for their emotions to take over. Um, you know, if if you if you want to speak about what's happened in the last few days, just for a few moments, uh, something our listeners might be interested in. Uh, sure. You know, from my from my point of view, it was all emotional based. You know, the sell off. Right. Well, um, 
I, I think there's a large aspect to that, especially over the last few days. Um, you know, the, the market has gotten much more complicated um, over the last several years, especially with the introduction of uh, computers and high-frequency trading. And, um, I, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate that there can be this type of volatility in our financial markets. Uh, I don't think that it's particularly rational for, you know, the uh, overall U.S. equity market to lose nearly 20% of its value in a matter of two weeks, uh, especially with uh, the headlines that are out in the world right now. I mean, certainly there are, are risks out there, uh, but I, I think that the market has been a little uh, – it's been it's been a little more chaotic than uh, I think it should have been, and and certainly I, I think for the you know the the, the retail investor uh, seeing that kind of volatility is a frightening thing. Uh, I think there are structural things that need to be done, and how the mechanics of the stock market works that would possibly create a, a a little bit more stable platform. Not to say that the market won't go down, and not to say that there won't be you know serious downdrafts, but uh, I, I think aside from the fact that you have all of this anxiety manifesting itself in, in the financial markets, I think there are some structural things uh, that make it very difficult uh, for the retail investor in, in today's uh, markets. Right, and there's all this great power in some of the hedge funds and large groups of investors. Uh, that possibly could result in some type of manipulation, too. Uh, I... I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, we have uh, a few moments left in the show. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the entrepreneurial ventures that you've been involved with? Um, we spoke a little bit about Blog World. Is there anything else you would like to mention about Blog World? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I I find Blog World to be an incredibly interesting business. Um, the anchor of the business is a trade show, which we're now doing twice a year. Uh, and, and it's a place where uh, individuals who are content creators, as well as uh, businesses who are using social media and creating content can come and, and mingle and, and, and learn from each other. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I, I, I look at that business and, and the potential I see is so huge because there's so many people who have a voice that they want to get across or, or creative uh, aspirations, and, you know, our show uh, helps them to sort of organize and manage and do a better job of, of creating uh, and expressing themselves, and then if they want to take it to the next level and turning it into, a, a, you know, monetization or financial benefit, we do that as well, and from a business perspective, especially a small business perspective, you know, the things, that, the tools that we offer as part of our social media business summit are, you know, every small business needs to have a social media presence. Uh, it's, it's, it's the way that you can reach large markets without having to spend a lot of money. And so, you know, the the growth of the show and the the creativity that, that the managers of the show and the managers of the business get to have as far as trying to build that business is just something that I really, really enjoy. Uh, 
so. In fact, yeah. in fact, Robert, I mean, that's, I guess, kind of where you and I started having our conversation because you told me about some of the things that you're doing, and I mentioned the show and how uh, there might be things that, that you would find interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's it's definitely something of interest to me. Um, I notice you're also involved in a company called Euphoric, and I love the spelling of the website, U for the number four, R-I-K. Yeah. Could you tell us a little about that company? Yeah, Euphoric is a really fun company. So it's a it's a spirits company. Um, we currently are doing vodka, and uh, any day now we will begin importing our tequila. And uh, the guy who founded the company, whose name is, uh, I guess, obviously Rick, uh, He he's a really interesting guy. He was uh, had built one of the largest mortgage brokerage companies in San Diego County. And which he ultimately sold. Um, and while he was running the business, uh, one of the people that worked for him presented him an opportunity to buy an agave plantation in Mexico. And oh. so he did that. And um, I guess he had a, some type of a chemical engineering background. And, and so he bought it and, and created a recipe for tequila. Um, but while he was waiting for the agave to grow, because it takes, uh, I think, six or seven years before you harvest the plant to make it into uh, tequila. Oh, well, he, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah, he, he actually um, came up with a recipe for vodka. And uh, it was actually, it's an unusual recipe. He does it with uh, six varieties of California wine grapes. And the reason that he used grapes was because his wife was uh, gluten intolerant. And so by creating the vodka with grapes, it was a gluten-free vodka so his wife could enjoy the vodka. Huh. And, and so he's, uh, he's got recipes for a few other uh, spirits as well. We're focusing on the, uh, the vodka and tequila to start. But the thing that's really uh, that I love about the product and the reason I invested in the business is uh, his uh, filtering and distillation process is, is pretty unique. And so every spirit that he distills has this incredibly smooth and clean taste. So, you know, you could put up, uh, in my opinion, a euphoric against any of the leading brands in uh, vodka or tequila, and, you know, I think that people would enjoy the euphoric uh, versus those, those other brands because of how, how smooth the, the spirits are. And so... You know, like I said, that business, uh, he started selling the uh, the vodka a little over a year ago, and we're just uh, about to start importing the tequila. And, again, the uh, the creativity that I personally get to uh, have in helping to shape that business is something that I, I, I really love. Oh, that's fantastic, and we're really looking forward to uh, the launch of that tequila. That sounds terrific. Yep, uh, we are too. <laughs> Um, I noticed you're also involved with, uh, is it Hubkick.com? Yeah, so Hubkick is a, is a neat little company. It, it's probably the, um, I consider it sort of the riskiest uh, of all of the investments uh, because I, I guess the outcome could be very binary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's an application that helps people turn their inbox into uh, a place that they can sort of keep uh how do i say it 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 actually helps you uh, turn your inbox into a way to manage your business or manage projects um so hubkick basically takes emails and allows you to manage tasks or manage projects in in groups or small groups 
straight through the uh, the inbox. And uh, the application is just about done and just about to go into beta. And it's one of those things where it, it, it could it could be a total flop because either the software doesn't work or people just say, nope, I got other ways to do that. Or right. people could say, you know what, I've been waiting a long time for something like this. And it could take off really fast. Well, that's very exciting. And when when could we expect to have uh, that product available to the general public? So uh, I think the first beta is actually going to be released on Monday, and that will go to a small group of people who were familiar with the, sort of the predecessor product to Hubkick. Um, and then depending on how that testing goes, I would envision by, I don't know, the end of September, uh, we should be sort of putting it out there for general consumption. Very, very good. Uh, Scott, we're close to running out of time. Are there any thoughts that you would want to share with our listeners regarding uh, facing the challenges that are coming their way? Uh, anything that comes to mind as a last-minute type of uh, advice to them? Yeah, you know, I, I think the only thing that I, I, I would like to say, and, you know, I'll, I'll caveat it by saying that this is a really hard thing to do and it's a battle that I go through uh, on a day-to-day basis, especially with respect to trading in the stock market. But, um, you know, when I'm in a position and I get myself where when I wake up in the morning and I say, today I'm going to go out and, and basically take what I want. I'm we have going 10 to seconds control left, so. <laughs> I'm sorry? We only have a few seconds left, Sorry. Oh, that's okay. You know, it's just a matter of, of being assertive and, and taking what, what what you want as opposed to being passive. Right. Uh, thank you so much, Scott. Um, and thank you to all our listeners who have been following us tonight. Um, I, I've been talking with Scott Lenz, and he has been making the transition from equities to entrepreneur. I hope the show is of interest to our listeners. And Hopefully, we'll be seeing you next week at about the same time. Good night, everybody. Good night, Scott. Thanks for joining us. Okay, thanks. Good night.